Hi, I'm Melissa from the Northeastern Melbourne Integrated Cancer Service, and I'm here to introduce you to the Common Path podcast. These have been developed to support people who have been diagnosed with cancer. Listening to this podcast will provide you with an opportunity to learn from others who have already experienced cancer. They share how they made decisions, what they learned along the way, what helped and what they wish they had known. In this podcast, you'll hear from three people who've been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Tariana was diagnosed in 2014 with pancreatic cancer with neuroendocrine tumours and was treated with surgery. Ron's pancreatic cancer was diagnosed in 2010 and he was also treated with surgery. And Graham, who was diagnosed in 2015. His treatments have included surgery and chemotherapy. You can find information and support for people with pancreatic cancer at pancare.org.au. Each of the podcast participants has their own story to tell and will bring their unique experiences to the discussion. In this first section, Diagnosis, they start by talking about their own cancer diagnosis, how they reacted and how they coped. After um, I took ill and spent about a week in hospital, several tests over the course of a week, doctors weren't sure what had happened. I was referred for a CT scan. Uh, I got called back in to see the local surgeon who pretty much straight out told me I'd had a cancer in my pancreas. Um, Could have knocked me off my seat at that stage. (laughs) Never even thought of it, didn't even know it was coming. Um, Being a regional surgeon. He was a general surgeon, so he didn't specialise. So straight away, he referred me to a um, specialist in a larger rural centre. Um, while sitting in the room with him, straight on to a uh, phone conversation, uh, conference with the other surgeon, who was looking at the results. And he even just said straight out, he can't do anything about it, and referred me to another specialist down here in Melbourne. Uh, from then, I was set with an appointment within a couple of days to come down to Melbourne and, yeah, basically fronted the surgeon down here and he didn't give me such good news either. He said, with the current diagnosis, I was looking at uh, six months of life, um, but he said he's going to discuss it with his surgical team, um, don't give up hope, they're going to have a look and see if they can do something for me. So with that, end of the um consultation and I've headed back home a couple hour drive and it was a pretty quiet drive back home. So when I arrived back at home I literally pulled up in the driveway and the surgeon had rang again and said he'd been looking further at my test results, going to discuss a bit more with his team and he reckons he might be able to do something so he gave me a glimmer of hope. Okay uh, the lead up to it was I was unwell for quite some time and I was uh, admitted to hospital with pancreatitis. On from that Once uh, I got over that and rested up, I got the same pains back again. So I went to my GP, he took a blood, and away we went from there. And um, the result of that blood was he seen something he didn't like, sent me for an ultrasound the next day. 2.30 in the afternoon, he rang to see if I could be at the hospital in an hour's time to have a CT scan. And that's when that was confirmed. He waited at his surgery till I got back there about 6.30 that evening and he delivered the message of um, what was going on. 
At that point, I did not know the significance of pancreatic cancer. I had no clue the seriousness of it. In my mind, leaving there, I wanted to kick the cat, so to speak, um, but uh, I, I just had it in my mind, I have a tumour, I'm going to have an operation, and it's gone. And I, that was further from the truth as it unfolded. So I was diagnosed with uh, pancreatic neuroendocrine tumours in September uh, 2014. Um, I was given the diagnosis after I had a laparotomy done, um, and the reason for the laparotomy was to get a biopsy um, of the actual tumours that were in my abdomen at the time. I was very apprehensive up until that time, just not knowing what I was going to be told I had and what it was just because there were quite a few variables in terms of what the diagnosis might be. Yeah, Google's a wonderful thing. You get on there and you start searching, but you start looking at that stuff and you start seeing pancreatic cancer and you start seeing the um, statistics for it and in the end it's no, not much good to you. You start getting information you don't want to see. In this section, Making Treatment Decisions, You'll hear about how they made decisions about their treatment and what were some of the issues they needed to think about. I, I took my time. Um, so having been diagnosed in September 2014, um, being told I had pancreatic neuroendocrine tumours, um, I was advised that they were uh, slow-growing. Um, I had quite a number through my abdomen and the primary and the pancreas. Um, I was told that I required uh, what they call a Whipple surgery, which is quite um, a big surgery, <laughs> uh, which involves the removal of the pancreas, uh, part of the um, uh, stomach, um, gallbladder. Um, so that in itself, being told that I need this surgery was quite confronting. Um, went away and... Sort of process that and thought about it. Um, in my case, at the time, I had a two-year-old and a five-year-old, so two little girls. Um, so it's just sort of going through and um, sort of thinking through the logistics of okay, well, I'm going to have this surgery. I'm going to be off my feet for quite uh, a long time after. There are other things that come into play with regard to, you know, school drop-offs. Who's going to look after my two-year-old? How's that? How am I going to? I don't have family close by. The treatment uh, that I had to accept, I, I didn't have an option. Uh, as my surgeon pointed out, the pancreas is a nasty little organ, and as I've come to realise and understand it now, he's right. It's quite a dangerous little organ when you get. Uh, a tumour or cancer, um, you know, present in that organ. So the, I didn't have a choice in a treatment. Well, the following day, I just went into um, let's go and sort out my life mode, uh, wills, fix up all my finances. So I just went into that type of pattern. Um, toured the countryside for a bit of a so-called last look around. And I was sitting out at one of the local lakes and the surgeon had rang again and said he'd spoken to his team a bit further and they were pretty confident of surgery, uh, which gave me a little more hope and gave me a date to come down for a pre-op and look in for surgery. Um, and also I was allowed um, the opportunity to speak to um, the team over at Peter McCallum. So this, my surgeon was brilliant in that respect. 
because the Peter McCallum team had a completely different approach um, to what they suggested I do. So instead of um, going ahead with um, the Whipple surgery, they indicated that I undertake uh, radiotherapy prior with no guarantee of having the surgery um, at the end of that period. I needed the time to step back and process that, which is why I said to my surgeon, well, no, I I'm going to have my Christmas with the family. I'm going to take the time. And he, and he was all for that. He's like, yep, not a problem. We don't have to rush into it. You take the time and make sure that it is definitely what you want to do. I'll say crisis mode. I tried to keep it composed, but we had a business to consider. Um, we, we had a major project on the go with a, a development with a, a new factory right next door. That, uh, that came to a stop. All those things, I actually didn't consider too much about where I was heading. I was confident with where I was heading. I put that aside, knowing it was being dealt with well, uh, with my daughter and particularly my wife doing all the, the, the things that were needed to gather information, prepare me for that. Uh, and, and I just focused on trying to organise my business and what was happening in my absence. I was a public patient and my surgeon just said he was going to book me straight into the Austin Hospital as a public patient. Um, he said he put the surgery down as a Category 1 because I thought I'd be on a waiting list of some time and I thought maybe the waiting period would far exceed my life expectancy. He said, but as a Category 1, there's not much that'll stop me. I'm booked in on that day and I'm going straight in. So recording information is important and, and Wendy does that very, very well. She's got folders, stickers, a Bible, so to speak, and um, uh, quite often she's been asked, did she used to be a nurse? Um, she's that inquiring about questions about blood tests and certain markers and this and that and one thing and another. Extremely important in my case to have my husband there at every appointment. Um, I found as I was being given information by my surgeon, you know, I'd, I'd sort of, I'm okay, but then I'd be processing that information, my surgeons moved on to the next point and, um, you know, sort of talking about, you know, the next item on the agenda and, well, I'm still on item A, he's on B, and I'd, be, I'd you know, be asking questions sort of two points back, whereas my husband would sort of um, gather everything and, you know, um, be able to pause the conversation because he knew that I was, like, not where they were at in terms of the conversation itself. Like we'd be driving home from a consultation and then I'd be like, oh, what, you know, I'd ask a question to my husband and he was like, bang, he'd remember everything and we'd go back and talk about stuff. So very important to have someone in an appointment with you. He was a part of a bigger group of, uh, I believe there's about eight doctors get together at, at the hospital uh, each week and they review all their cases, so there's surgeons, oncologists and, and many other. That was a, a great thing because he explained that in depth, that his decision is then criticised or supported by others. Um, so that gives us confidence to move on with that particular surgeon and, and uh, keep moving forward. For anyone, regardless of whatever diagnosis you have, it, it is important to be able to just centre and focus and breathe and just, you know, um, you owe it yourself to understand what is going, um, 
well, what has happened, the diagnosis that you have and what is going. So you need to think past the point of, okay, whatever treatment um, is, is to come. You need to be accepting of it. In this section about treatment, you'll hear about the treatment they each received, as well as some of the side effects they experienced and how they managed them. Not everybody experiences side effects, and they can vary from person to person, depending on the type and dose of the treatment you receive. Basically, I went in for a uh, what they called a Whipple procedure, which is a large um, abdominal surgery. Took somewhere between 10 to 11 hours. Um, recovery from that it was slow. Uh, in February 2015, I uh, went in to have uh, the Whipple surgery done. In terms of uh, the recovery period, ve very slow, um, just with uh, the surgery that I had undergone. It was learning to um, eat again, um, uh, very, very fatigued, um, and uh, yeah, just a very, very slow process. So um, I was told um, that to allow uh, in terms of the recovery period, to allow uh, a month for every hour under the knife. And to be completely honest, it pretty much took that long for me to get back to a point where I felt, you know, sort of normal again after having the Whipple surgery. My treatment um, post-surgery was uh, uh, chemotherapy. Uh, it was once a week for six months. Well, I was getting along like a rooster with my tail up, to be honest. I was back at work made me a little nauseated, a bit fatigued, so I managed that. And I'm very fortunate my son-in-law works for me and so does my son, and so business was taken care of, so I could breeze in and breeze out. But just to step back a little bit, we were probably a little bit um, uh, lacking information about side effects because I was going on a clinical trial and that didn't go ahead for a few reasons. So we went straight onto the chemo and it all happened at the end when I was discluded from the, the um, clinical trial, uh, my oncologist um, just said, okay, well, we'll get started with our regular program of chemo. And we found out much later that um, we'd actually missed uh, uh, an information session that they normally put you through because we just got a tiny bit lost in the system because of the clinical trial. No, it was around this time that I was um, advised of the Pancare Foundation who actually then helped my wife find some accommodation closer and, yeah, it was with their help that, you know, things started rolling along a bit that way to more help my wife than myself and um, simple things like parking at the hospital at $30 a day, you know, to get a voucher. Mm. It's just a, to stop that train of funds that was... You're not working, funds aren't coming in, you're still running a household. Mm. And just a little thing like parking, cheaper accommodation, less travel to and from the hospital, all those little things that help. But the Pancare Foundation helped a lot with that sort of stuff. After my six months of uh, chemotherapy, I, I did get a lung infection at Christmas time, so that sort of put me back a bit. So I missed one or the tail end of the chemo by a week or maybe two treatments. They didn't see that as significant. And then uh, after Christmas in May, I believe it was, um, I was diagnosed with a return tumour on my pancreas. In this case, this is quite rare. So my pancreas and spleen had to come out. 
very, very difficult operation and lengthy, and that was done successfully um, through his ability. Uh, that's now, I'm now a diabetic because I have no pancreas, so we've, that was a little hurdle to overcome, and um, I've done that. Six, about eight weeks later, I've, I've actually had a re-diagnosis of um, two small tumours on my liver. So uh, we can't um, surgically remove those. So I'm currently having chemotherapy to um, contain them, or maybe even shrink them. In fact, yesterday I, I did get some good news that it, um, it appears that it's, it's holding quite well. So uh, um, we're happy about that. So following the treatment, the relationship with my husband um, was quite strong. I think going back earlier to, um, I guess, the decision process and leading up to um, the surgery that I had, we talked through a lot of what was to come and what, was, what we could expect, um, especially in the time post-surgery. Uh, so for both of us, sort of verbalising that a lot earlier in the piece, getting to the point where, you know, I was struggling and fatigued and, you know, just there were days where I just had nothing in me. Um, there, was that, there was already that understanding there that, OK, you just need that time and not to be rushed in anything. Yeah, when I returned back to Ararat, uh, my surgeon wanted me to stick with the one doctor. So with discussion with the local medical centre, I found a GP who was willing to take me on full time and liaise with my surgeon here in Melbourne. So they're all on the same page with my treatments and how everything was going with that. So yeah, it was good to walk in and see a, someone who knew exactly where I was in treatment. I uh, did see a psychologist. Um, that was not uh, something that, about having cancer or worrying about dying or anything like that. It was uh, business, general life decisions making in my absence it got on top of me and so uh, my daughter booked the psychologist. I wasn't going. Um, I didn't consider I needed it but I, I wasn't functioning. When I look back now I just wasn't functioning. I went there kicking and screaming so to speak, not in those real terms but reluctant because I didn't consider I needed that, I was stronger than that. So I had three or four sessions and to this day I'm, that, that just helped immensely. It got me through. Um, I did actually uh, go to um, a doctor that my daughter organised uh, with a little uh, to deal with a bit of anxiety and that was something that um, the psychologist was dealing with obviously but from a medical point of view so I was just put on a small dose of a medication that I still take to this day and it's not to be ashamed of, it's, it's just helped no end. Yeah, I went down to Melbourne in December and I got home in early February. Um, so I sat at home probably for another couple of weeks, exercise of about a 300-yard walk a day, which is quite a long way at that time, and just slowly built myself up, just spent every day just going out to do a little bit more, a couple extra steps every day just to build myself up. In this final section, what helped? You'll hear about some of the things that helped them through their diagnosis and treatment. Look, I don't think there's anything that I could have done that was different, but what would have helped is um, if there was someone to talk to that had been through it, to give me a guide as to where I've been or where I was about to go and what to expect more 
say than the doctor's opinion of it. Like definitely live in the moment, um, take it as it comes. Uh, you know, there are days where I just need to sit back and not do too much because that's what my body's telling me to do. Um, but that being said, um, looking to the future as well. Like uh, I feel with a young family that, um, you know, there's a lot still to be done, you know, still to be enjoyed and, um, you know, th that gives me strength and I know that it's just part of life. So just, just get on with it. Yeah, don't give up hope. Um, keep a positive outlook. You never know what's around the corner. In my six years of having this problem, treatments have just come on so much more nowadays. Plans now is just enjoying life, really. Um, not being hunkered down in sort of the negativity of what I've got. Um, I think you can get um, lost in the diagnosis and, you know, the mortality rates and the percentages of who lives and who doesn't. And that, for me, that's just, you know, by the by, it's I'm, I'm unique, I'm me, I just need to get on with it. I have a young family and want to be th with them for as long as I can, so. Keeping motivated and, and, and busy, if possible. Uh, and if, you, if they're not fortunate to have things to keep their mind occupied, find something. And you know, if, if it means asking other people to you know, go out for the day or, or find things that, that, that just get you through a day and, and maybe, or something to look forward to, I think it, that, that's probably the best advice I could say. We hope that the information in this podcast has been valuable. There are some general strategies that we recommend you follow when diagnosed with cancer, many of which have already been spoken about. However, they include, learn all you can about your diagnosis and the available treatment options. Take someone with you to all of your cancer-related appointments. They can help you remember what was said and it's a good idea to ask them to take notes during the meeting to help with this. Prepare your questions before your appointments and don't be afraid to ask them. Keep a copy of your medical information. Seek and accept help when needed. And finally, talk to members of your healthcare team about appropriate exercise. For further information, don't forget you can contact the Cancer Council Information and Support Service on 13 11 20 where you can speak directly with a cancer nurse or you can visit their website at www.cancervic.org.au and to find out what you can expect as you move from diagnosis to treatment, check out the What to Expect guides at www.cancerpathways.org.au .org.au As a final piece of advice, please remember to discuss any concerns or questions you have with your treating team. They will know your personal circumstances and will be able to provide you with the most appropriate information and advice. You can also watch this podcast as a video. Just go to YouTube and once there, search for A Common Path, Cancer Support and Advice. You can then follow the link to the video you want. Our thanks go to Tariana, Ron and Graham who have generously shared their experiences to make this podcast possible. The North Eastern Melbourne Integrated Cancer Service 
would also like to acknowledge the support of the Victorian Government who made the production of this podcast possible.